Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn, took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, do you think, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Westside. We're glad that you're here this morning um, as we start a new journey um, and a new series. And so I was talking to somebody before service and said, we just did a series on money. Now we're doing one on family and I don't know, we just might do one on like politics after this or something just to be a little bit more controversial. But um, what we know is, is that the holiday seasons are coming up and um, been in the game for a little bit and know that sometimes this season and this time of year might be a little bit more heartbreaking than it is heartwarming. And, and what we want to do is we just wanted to take this time to sort of equip us to refresh our understanding as to what God words, God's Word says about the everyday issues that we deal with. And just a quick caveat, um, we're going to be hitting on just some kind of major themes in the month of November. We're not going to be getting into necessarily very particular roles. We have resources on our website for sermon series that we've done for that. But one of the things that we wanted to do is we wanted to equip some younger families. And so um, we love babies here at Westside and we love. Adrian Rogers says, if a church has, doesn't have babies crying, then the church is dying. And um, we are alive and well at Westside, you know. And so we know that we have a lot of younger families. And what we wanted to do is provide this great resource for you called Gospel-Centered Families. Um, it's a very short read, very practical read. We have a few copies out there in the lobby for just $5. Um, we're going to lose money on that. But we wanted to provide it for you in a cost in such a way that you could get access to this. And so if you have younger kids or if you're even a grandparent or this, that, and the other, this is a great resource that we want to be able to provide for you. And so as we were just sort of praying and getting ready um, for this series, um, the Lord just sort of brought an, an event to my mind. And so uh, this is a picture of me and my family. We just uh, recently went on a little hiking excursion together. And it's always fun now in the new season that we're in. So we've got three kids, seven, five, and three. And the kids are getting old enough to be able to kind of go do stuff like this. And um, as we were hiking, it was a blast. It was a lot of fun. The weather was beautiful. And um, we, we were on the trail and we knew that we were on the trail from sort of the signs that were telling us and the color and this, that, and the other. And then um, first we approached a pack of stray dogs 
which then turned into an entire event, which is why I sort of have that stick in the picture. Um, Piper growled at them and says that she was Spider-Man and that she could save us and all of that. So that was cool. And then after that, we, we sort of approached this part on the trail where we had like three or four roads. And, you know, we were trying to go, okay, we, now we know that we're staying on this color, and then, but then we don't see that color after, you know, we, we keep going on the trail. And so we just sort of made a decision and kept going, and um, we weren't very confident in it. And our kids, Roman kept saying, Dad, I just don't think this is the way. I think we're lost. Um, I think we're lost. Finally, we just made a decision, turned around, found the trail that we were supposed to be a part of, and sort of went back. But as, as I was Praying and planning for this series, um, always praying for us as a church, the Lord just sort of brought that to mind and said, um, when it comes to families, that's it. Everybody in every family is, is going to approach a season and time in their life where they get to make some choices as to what direction we are actually going as a family. Now, whether you like it or not, you can say that we haven't really decided that yet. We're kind of seeing how that turns out. But in all reality is every family in this room is heading in a certain direction. And most of the time, most of the time, conflict and things tend to happen because we are unclear on the direction that we are heading as a family. Or maybe it's even kind of my generation, like, my generation tends to like YouTube stuff as it's happening. So like, oh no, the washing machine went out. I need to figure out how to fix it. Just YouTube it, right? And so, and then it's like, oh, I'm married now and I have two kids and this is hard. I should probably YouTube how to do this, right? And, and we all need a direction in the, a direction that we're going to as a family. And, and when it comes to the scriptures, um, the scriptures use the metaphor and language of a family all throughout the scriptures. But in reality, the first couple of pages, the first few verses, when it comes to this idea of family, we see that God has a lot to say about it, actually. Um, Genesis 1, when, when God's making everything, there's this moment in Genesis 1.26 where he says this, Then God said, Let us make man or mankind in our image after our likeness. Now, the reason why I bring that up is, is do you catch the plurality of language that's happening there? Um, we believe that before there was ever something, before there was ever scientists tried to explain this, that, and the other, before there was something, there was someone. And, and listen, before there was anything, there was a relationship. There was, here's what we believe as Christians. This is a great sign. If it's your first time here, check it out. This is what we believe. We believe before there was ever anything, there was love. And see, here's what separates Christianity from all other religions, that if you were to ask someone from the Islamic faith or this, that, and the other who their God is, they would say that their God is one. And, and you just heard the scripture read. But, but the verse where it says for us as Christians that hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. It's actually a one of a plurality. It's like a cluster of grapes. And we believe that before there was anything, there was relationship and there was love between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And when God says, let us make man in our image and likeness, that means that the very core of who we are as human beings is relational and love. 
And then it goes on to say this, that, and God blessed them and said to them, here it is, this is our favorite command to obey at Westside. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. What's that language? Make a family. And from that very verse, here's what's fun. You can just sort of trace the entire Bible that from that very verse, God's plan is the multiplication of his people from Genesis. Then we see Exodus happen and they're multiplying, but they're in. And then we see that Christianity uh, go and make disciples of all nations. It's always this multiplication. But what we see is, listen, this is crazy, that as God is establishing even the planets and the way that in our solar system they, they orbit around the sun, God said that the family, that the family is foundational to creation. You can have a lot of opinions about that, and we're going to realize and find in this series that people try to make that be something that it's not. But in all reality, listen, listen, I just don't believe that the problem lies in the White House, that the problem lies in this, that, or the other, here, this, or this, and then this person, what we need to do is this, and your problem with this is, well, it's those Democrats, it's those Republicans. Listen, I believe that we can trace the origin of everything that's happening in our society to the crumbling of the family. 100%. And as we look and see in the scriptures that God has a lot to say, not that it's just foundational, but, but here's a problem, right? Um, Genesis 1 and 2 things were going great, right? Um, as my little nephew used to say, they were bucky naked and not ashamed, right? <laughs> things were going well in the family. Then Genesis 3, and, and, and by the way, what, what was the first thing? What was the first thing that Satan attacked? Was it the, uh, was it... Um, it was a family. It was a marriage. So um, just newsflash, um, if you're married, it's not easy. And we say here all the time, do you know who's struggling in their marriage? Amen. There's a word, there's a theological concept for people who are struggling in their marriage, and they're called married. <laughs> right? And then we see that from that attack on the family that it plays out all through the pages of Scripture. Genesis 4 happens, Adam and Eve's kids. Yeah, how well did that go? Well, one killed the other. So listen, um, it's okay. Family conflict has been happening since Genesis 4, okay? And we see that all of this plays out, but still, there's this thread all through the Scriptures that even when people are described as worshiping the God of the Bible, do you know how it is described? That, that Jesus says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you know what that is? Three generations of families. That's how foundational this is to our understanding. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Jesus enters in the scene. And then in Matthew chapter 1, it's the, it's the chapter we always skip in our Bible reading plan. It's the genealogy, right? And so like January 1st, when you're like, I'm reading through the Bible this year, right? It always slows down in the genealogies and in Leviticus. You're just like, every year I try to read my Bible, and right? But what, why are the genealogies in there? Well, first off, it's to trace um, Jesus' heritage, his ethnicity, to show that he is of Jewish descent. But, but have you read and studied that before? Do you know how crazy Jesus' family tree is? I mean, there's um, prostitutes, murderers, thieves, right? And you thought your family was jacked up, right? 
Why, why does God record something like that? Well, to show us, number one, that, that it's always been about a family glorifying God. But secondly, um, listen, look up here, and, and you're just going to be able to breathe a sigh of relief, and we're just going to get this out of the way for the series. Um, God's not afraid of your mess. He's just not. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know what that means? That God entered into the brokenness. So Jesus knows what this is like. And then I love this verse in John chapter 7, verse 5. This is great. You know that Jesus had family conflict? He did. John chapter 7, verse 5 says, For not even his brothers believed in him. Uh, yeah, duh, right? I mean, could you imagine your brother wakes you up one day and you're eating your Fruity Loops there at the table and he's like, um, hey, listen, you know, um, I was born of a virgin, okay? And I'm actually God, bro, all right? So <laughs> we're just going to have to figure this thing out, right? I mean, imagine how it was. They're eating family dinner and I got a call from school today. Well, we know it wasn't Jesus, right? <laughs> we know he didn't get in trouble, right? But what I love about this is what we see is just this beautiful picture of like not even the people closest to Jesus fully just made it happen like that. That should reassure you that, that, that this faith journey, we're being formed in this. But that Jesus in his family, there was still because of Genesis 3, there's just this rub that's taking place. But then Jesus switches the language when it comes to family. And, and he sort of gives us two categories. And one of the great things that John says in John chapter 1 is this, but to all who did receive him and who believed in his name, he gave, here it is, the right to become children of God. There's the language again, children of God, who were born not of blood nor the will of the flesh, right? Nobody wakes up and is like, I'm going to get saved today, right? That's just... Not how it works when it comes to this brokenness of humanity. Not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Listen, how foundational is this idea of family in the scripture? Well, it's there from Genesis 1. That's how foundational it is. Then the way God describes him reconciling this broken creation that has rebelled against him is always this language of being born one of my favorite things to do as a pastor is, is, is to go to Popper Bluff Regional Medical and go to the third floor. I love the third floor, right? Sometimes I have to go to the seventh floor. Sometimes I have to go to the ER. But I love going to the third floor. That's where the babies are, right? And we pray over every baby. And we read, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and may his countenance forever give you peace. And we pray for these babies. And every time that I pray, I say, God, we're reminded of the miracle of life that you create. But what we also pray for this baby is that this baby will be born again. Here's what I'm trying to say is how foundational the family is. Everybody is born into a physical family. No matter how broken, no matter even if they forsook you, and left you. Everybody is born into a physical family, but everybody needs to be born again into a spiritual family. And that's what we're going to try to marry together in this series of home, is to look at this. And when it comes to this idea of a direction that we're heading in, um, the verse that was probably read to you, you were probably like, man, if we were going to do a series on family, 
I don't know if I would have read like the Good Samaritan thing, right? I mean, it's great. Probably the most popular and famous story that Jesus ever told, the story of the Good Samaritan. But when we approach this and, and look at what Jesus says, we realize there's some very important things about us as believers that we can directly draw a line of correlation to with our families. So if we ask the direction like my kids asked the question on the trail that day, I think we're lost. And what direction are we heading in? We'll see in these verses today that Jesus gives us a direction and that he gives us an application for that direction. And so the first thing that we see is this, the direction. Now, when it comes to this story, man, I'm not going to be able to spend as much time as I would love to spend in this story. But here's just a little bit of background. It says that, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Now, this isn't a legal lawyer like, like we would think. This is a religious lawyer. So this is someone who expounded the law of Moses for the people. So the society back then was different than ours. If there was a family conflict, even if there was a business conflict, you took it to the religious leaders in the town, and they sort of talked about the law of Moses and how this worked out. But then it says this, that he stood up to put him to the test. Um, there's, there's a word for test that's like, aha, gotcha. Did you ever have a teacher like that in school, right? You walked in and they were like, pop quiz today, right? Now, there's a teacher that is like, pop quiz, I want to help you. I want to make sure that you know this. Then there's the teacher that's like, my goal is to ruin your life. And so we have a pop quiz today, right? That's the kind of word of test that's happening here. Stood up to put Jesus to the test, and then he asked this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law and how do you read it? Isn't it great? Jesus asks a question to a question, right? But what we see in just a minute is, and, and, it's in, and by the way, if you're in leadership, this is just a great application for you. Um, to make and ask more questions than make statements this would be good for us even as a family as well. Um, because when you make statements, you're trying to get a point across, right? Now, you can either make a point or you can make a difference. But you can't do both. And a lot of times you make the difference by asking questions. Because when you ask questions, guess what? The person reveals themselves. So, so, so you can enter into the family and this is the way and the direction that it's going to go. And the problem is, is that you've never showed up and we've always called and you need to deal with this problem because that is on you. Um, question, how's that going for you? going good or we can ask questions we can ask questions and hear other people out and then Jesus asked this question how do you read the law what does the law say now this is referring to sort of in general the old testament where there's 300 plus commands and this guy's going listen if Jesus is controversial Right? He's hanging out with sinners. Um, he's correcting religious people, but he's telling sinners to leave their life of sin. But then he's telling the religious people that you don't even actually know God, and everybody needs to know God through me. I need to sort of trap him so he can reveal who he really is. And then Jesus goes, well, the law, how do you read it? And then the lawyer says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. You should love the neighbor as yourself. Verse 28, was it a correct answer? We surveyed 100 people, and everyone said, ding, 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 you have answered correctly. Do this, 
and you will live. You've done this correctly. That's, that's the summation. So, so we have this read. This is what's the, the Shema, right? And so when babies were born in the Jewish tradition, the first thing, as soon as the baby is born, there would be the rabbi there. And the first things that that baby would hear into their ears was the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is the very first thing. And then it was such an honorable death if you died saying the Shema. That's how important this is. And, and, and this is the summation of it all. And then the application is seen in loving your neighbor as yourself. So now we're, now we're getting a direction. Are you seeing? Are you following where we're going now? And, and, and just to show you how important this actually is, in Mark's gospel, every gospel records this in the synoptics. And Mark's gospel says that Jesus said this. Jesus answered, the most important is, and then goes on and says it. So here's, here's the question that I get all the time as a pastor. Tell us what to do. Tell us what to do. Tell my family what to do. And please, for the love of Jesus, tell my husband what to do. Or tell my kids what to do. Or what do we need to do? But listen, Jesus is far more concerned. Far more concerned about your desires than he is about what you need to do right now. Because what you do is determined by your desires. I see it all the time. Most of the time it's an excuse. Well, things just aren't really working out and we've tried and this isn't happening and so now we need to separate and now we need to do this and you give it about four or five months and the desire is revealed. The desire was we no longer actually wanted to be a family. I wanted to pursue this and it reveals itself. So what you do is determined by the desires that you have and Jesus says the very first the very first and most important thing that you need as a family is the love of God. I mean, it's just jelly on the bottom shelf today, right? You thought it was going to be this big. And so if you were to ask Jesus this sentence, Jesus, what is the most important thing for my family right now? What do I need to do? Jesus would say this. The most important thing for your family is to love God emotionally with your heart, spiritually with your soul, intellectually with your mind, and physically with your strength. And here's the test. And to express that love to each other. That's it. It's the totality of the human experience. That you should love the Lord your God with your heart. The heart in Jewish understanding was the seat of emotions, the splunkna, the gut reaction. And so the emotions for, for guard your heart, for flump, from it flow the springs of life. That listen, listen to me. The heart of every problem, look up here, don't miss this. The heart of every problem is a problem of the heart. So the heart of the problem of whatever is going on in your family is a problem of the heart. The heart of every problem is a problem of the heart, the, where the emotions flow through. And then it is with our soul, this, this immaterial, eternal part of us that is just mysterious to understand. That is this idea that families have to have a, a spiritual rhythm to themselves. So it's emotionally, spiritually, then intellectually with the mind that, that we're going to learn some things about God 
and that we're not going to hit the eject button when, when it stretches us or it's difficult and then physically with, with our strength and then to express that love to each other. Listen, Jesus just gave it to us. Jesus just gave us the direction for the family. And why is this so important? And, and why am I harping on this? Um, because we need vision. We need vision. We need to know where we're going. And Proverbs says this, where there is no, here it is, prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. Do you know what that's saying? Um, in, in the old translation, it would say where there is no vision, people perish. But actually, uh, transliterated, it's where there is no prophetic vision, a vision from God. Because listen, everybody has a vision for your family. I don't care if you're young, if you're old, if you're empty nesters, if you're grandparents, if you're single, or anything like that. Goodness gracious, if you're single, let's get on this train from the very beginning, all right? So ladies, like a vision for your life, if you're single, is number one, he needs a job. Number two, he doesn't live with his mother. Okay, right? I mean, this is a We need to know where we're going. Guys, right, a vision. Number one, make sure the in-laws aren't crazy. Because if you, if you marry crazy, guess what you got? You got crazy, bro. Okay? I'm just saying. We need a vision as to where we're going. But if there's no prophetic vision, vision from God, then people cast off restraint. You know what that means? That, that word transliterated literally means an animal that is literally being guided and is fighting and trying to get out of the restraints. And that is a picture of society. Where there is no prophetic vision, people will buck and rail and resist anything that tries to guide them. Anything that is placed upon as a prophetic vision, there will be a resisting of that. And then in totality, there will always be destruction. And it's interesting that Jesus says, for a vision for your family, the very first important thing is not rules. It's not rules. It's not, we're not going to drink, cuss, or chew, or go with girls that do, and you're not going to do this, and you're not going there, and this is this, and that. Jesus says the most important thing is love. Augustine was an early church father, and he said that every problem with sin is a disordered love. So listen, disordered lives are a result of disordered loves. So the reason why we lie, the reason why we lie is because we love something more than we love the truth. The reason why sexual sin or this, that, and the other creeps in is because we love something more than we love the prophetic vision that God has for the family. And we have to arrive there first. And so here's what I'm trying to say. A healthy vision for your family is vital. It's vital. You have to have a healthy vision for your family. And so we need to be asking ourselves, what vision do I have for my family? What is, 
What, what do we value in our home? And are we just constantly reacting to behavior? And, and, and it's like one of those little games at the arcade that you try to, what's the frog game? Like you hit it and another one pops up and then you do this, that, and the other. I, don't, I went to public school. I don't know how to describe what that is, right? But it's like behavior, 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 behavior. Beh- oh, I just can't behavior. And nothing ever changes. And Jesus is saying is the love aspect. We need to reorder our love in the vision of our home. But here's what I know, and we have to get into this. Um, the type of family that, are you ready? This is, I love you, okay? I love you. The type of family that we come from affects the family that we're a part of. Yeah. And so the reason why we react certain ways or maybe our vision is off for our family is because maybe we, we never had one from the family we came from. Or if we did, it was brutal. Or when it comes to the scriptures, I learned this from another pastor, and this is super helpful. There's there's genuinely about four types of families um, in in the scriptures. And and you know what's so funny is when we have a vision for our family, (laughs) when we have a vision for our family, the first vision that we have is almost like the cleavers, right? You're just like, that's what, like she's vacuuming in pearls. Like, that ain't, what? You know what I'm saying? Like, never, con- like, this, that, and the other. And, and so we think, like, oh, it's, it's going to be like that. Then we have a family, and it's a lot less like the Cleavers and a lot more like the Adams family. We're just like, da-da-da-da, right? Like, oh, no. And then, listen, I know what it's like, too, with the holidays coming up. With the holidays coming up, you have this vision of like the perfect, the very famous war painting of the family. They used this as propaganda during their great wars because families were literally dying because men were dying going to war. And so it was so heartbreaking when it came to the holiday season because war was being raged and people were no longer in the family because they had died at war. And so this painting was sort of everywhere as a vision for that. And so we have a vision for our family, like the holidays for Christmas and Thanksgiving to look like this. And in all reality, your Thanksgiving dinner looks like a scene from Ricky Bobby. All right. That's what it really looks like. Okay. It's It's broken, it's why? Because listen, we've got to address if vision is vital for our family and we need to know a direction and Jesus is telling us that, listen, we have to deal with root issues. That the family that I am now a part of is affected by the family that I came from. And so in the scriptures, there's there's genuinely about four types of families. The first family is this, ungodly families that remain ungodly. These are non-believing parents, non-believing grandparents, non-believing immediate family, and through the years, they are non-believing. It it remains that way. Um, That's tough, really tough, especially if you're a first-generation Christian in the room. There are many families and many people that we have here at Westside that they're the first Christian in their immediate family that they can recollect. It's hard coming from something like that. Ungodly families that remain ungodly. The second group is this, godly families who turn ungodly. These are almost probably the most damaging. 
because growing up in adolescent years, it was mom and dad said this, and I thought that we had godly values and then this, but then maybe the kids leave the home, and now there was never really a marriage there, and we were never really able to work this out, and so now the kids are gone, and they were the vision for our family. And so now that there's no vision with the kids, we don't know what to do, so we turn in on each other, or it's we didn't want, I mean, it's, this is difficult for godly families that something happens, the war is waged, and now there's brokenness there. The third type of family is this, ungodly families who turn godly. This is what I live for as a pastor. I love this. Baptizing men and women, mothers and fathers who declare Joshua that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord even though the rest of our family won't. But it's difficult because, again, there's still habits on the home that I was raised in and the vision that I was given. Or the, and by the way, listen, a lack of vision is still a vision. You realize that, right? Indecision is still a decision. And so it's ungodly families that turn godly or this, godly families who remain godly. Praise God for that. My goodness gracious, it doesn't always have to be bad and negative. And I believe that, listen, we need you. If you come from this and you're a part of this, we need you here at Westside. We need you hanging out with younger families and being a part of these things like that. And what's so sad, what's so sad is because of the baby boomer generation and this, that, and the other, my generation, when they look up and they want to see men who reject passivity lead courageously and lead for God's greater reward and who've worked a job for 40 years and loved the same woman for 50 years and will die tired, we look up and there's no one around. And then there's these women who are going, what is it to be a God-fearing woman in this culture to not sabotage my family because of discontentment and then be rebellious against my husband and my children and let my desires run wild and do all of this? And you look up and, and the battlefield is filled with casualties. But there's no one waging in the battle anymore because families are foundational to everything that we're speaking of. And so listen, we can't, we cannot move forward in this series. You cannot know where you're going until you first acknowledge as a family where you are at. And for some of us who are so fearful of image, we've, we've tried to live up to our last name in this town because in Butler County, your last name determines whatever. It just wearies me to my bones we got to live up to that standard because, listen, listen, God forbid, God forbid other broken people and other broken families who the butter has slid off their biscuit think something's wrong with our family. I mean, when you think about it like that, it's like, what is this even for? And we have to acknowledge, so maybe today and maybe before we do anything else, maybe a husband and a wife or a grandfather and a grandmother you sit down with your kids, no matter how old, no matter how young, or if you're single, you sit down with your parents or whatever, and, and you have to acknowledge some things. Like, hey, um, we haven't seen you for three Christmases. And we're just not going to act like that doesn't matter anymore. We're not trying to cast blame. We're not trying to do anything that. But, but we have a prophetic vision now. We have a vital vision for our family. We've got to acknowledge where we're at. So Jesus gives us the direction. 
is to love God with everything that we are and to express that love for each other. And then I have to fly through the rest of this. What does the application look like? Well, he tells us. Isn't it great? Look at verse 29. But he desiring to justify himself. So there he is. He just revealed himself. Says, who's my neighbor? I love this. I love the Bible because it's honest. So when it comes to the issue with family, and I just told you, um, the foundation and the direction for your family is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor, your family members, as yourself, to express that love. Do you know what, what, you, what you were saying? Well, who exactly in my family do I have to really show that love to? Glad you asked, because Jesus answers that question. Verse 30, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest, Jesus has given us categories of people. A priest was going down. The family that had it all together. The priest, close to God. This family's, this is the cleavers. They've got this figured out. Was going down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, different category, same concept. The elite came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. Now here it is, verse 33. But a Samaritan. I don't have time to get into this, but this, is, this story involves race. You, I mean, you can try to make it say what it doesn't, but that, that's what it's about. It's about ethnicity. And shockingly enough, to offend Butler County, Jesus would said, so likewise, um, uh, a Muslim, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And does that offend you? Because good, that's, that's what Jesus is doing here. He's challenging your worldview. And so let's have fun. Jesus always, like, I'm going to say a Samaritan, but a Samaritan, I want you to gasp. Okay, like, can we have fun? Right, here we go. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And now here it is. What does loving my neighbor look like, Jason? Tell me, preacher. Tell me, tell me. What does loving my neighbor, and by the way, like we don't have to do rocket science. Um, if you're married, right? If you're married and sleep in the same bed as your significant other, if you're married, do I need to preach a different sermon? Are we good? Everybody okay? All right, cool. Um, we should probably start there as your neighbor. I don't know, you sleep in the same bed together, right? And then... My kids and then, right? So it's, it's your circle of influence. What does it look like to love my family, to love my neighbor? Well, the first thing is this. You ready? Um, inconvenience. <laughs> inconvenience. Least we forget that the story of the Good Samaritan starts with conflict. Somebody got beat to death, right? Like, and then the priest and the Levite, what were they thinking? Like, oh my gosh, I'm heading to Tin Box. I don't... I got, I got the other people come. I don't, I don't have time. I can't do the, he should have called me earlier. He, should, he knew, he knew that he was going to get his boat ready, that it's spring. Okay, he had all winter to get it ready. Now he's trying, right? I don't know what your situation is. I always tend to go to boats. I don't know. It just seems to work, all right? But it always starts with inconvenience. Listen, love, love is very rarely, very rarely best expressed in a convenient moment. It's most of the time revealed what's really in your heart in an inconvenient moment. So listen, newsflash, if you're going to start on this journey with family, you better get ready that it's going to be inconvenient and not fit into your plans. It's just not. Secondly is this, 
humility. What does it look like to love my neighbor and my family? Well, it looks like inconvenience, and then this. It looks like humility. A priest in Levi saw him and passed by. The Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him. Do you know um, 99.9% of the time that family conflict would be and could be resolved? Listen to me. If you humbled yourself and stopped demanding that they humble themselves. There you go. Because we're so focused on how arrogant they were. Oh, and they probably were. How hurtful the words. Oh, absolutely. But you have a choice. You can demand something for them, or you can demonstrate something yourself. That's it. So it's going to look like, in, and listen, ladies and, and married couples, if, if you approach me or a community group leader or a board member with a list of things that your spouse should improve, I will not engage in that conversation. Okay? Because the problem is, Pastor, you just don't understand. I don't. But what I do understand is, is that you are so focused on their flaws that you are blind to your own. And if we could humble ourselves. But you know how you humble yourself? We say this all the time. You have to love something more than yourself to humble yourself. There it is. So it looks like inconvenience. It looks like humility. And then this, compassion. And when he saw him, he had compassion. That's profound. It's like right there in the verse, right? What, what does that mean? Feeling what they felt. So when the Samaritan came by and saw this person beat and stripped and hurting, when the Samaritan saw, the Samaritan had compassion and asked this question. I know what that probably feels like. That must hurt. Do you know how different it is when you engage in conversations with family that way? When you, listen, put yourself in their position. All of a sudden, compassion follows very quickly after that. Instead of demanding that they see your point of view, what if humility led the way for you to experience and to maybe feel what they feel? And most of the time, anger and bitterness and harsh words, the root of them is fear and loneliness. And so compassion feels what they feel. And then the next thing is this, action. He had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds. So there's an action that comes to healing with wounds. Listen to me. Words, words most of the time in families cause all of the hurt and heal nothing. Words inflict the pain. And then for families to overcome a conflict, action has to follow through that. So listen, in this series, we're going to have to do some things. We're going to have to do some things. So it looks like inconvenience, humility, compassion, action, and then this, sacrifice. Took care of him. The next day, took out two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper. Take care of him. Repay this when I come back. Um, it's going to cost you something to start this journey and to have a vision for your family. It's going to cost, look up here. It's going to cost 
you something. Not, this is going to cost them something. Well, he's just going to have to change his whole life to love me. This is going to be real painful for them to have to shift everything and now revolve around me. No, no, it's going to cost you something. There's no love without sacrifice. Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends, for his family. So it's going to look like sacrifice. And then the last thing is this. You'll hate this. Ready? Inconvenience, humility, compassion, action, sacrifice, mercy. You know what mercy is? Very simple definition. Grace is an unearned gift from an unobligated giver. Translation, grace is getting something you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting something you do deserve. So listen, here's what's so profound. Please don't miss this. You might be right. You might be right. I don't know. You might be right in the family conflict and situation. You might have all of the judgment ready. And the law reveals that you are right. But do you know what the law is? This whole conversation is centering around the law. The law is like an x-ray machine. An x-ray machine reveals what's broken, but provides no healing. And so you might have the law, and it reveals all the flaws and everything that's broken in this family because our father and our mother, and this happened, and I didn't choose this, and I have the law to demand this. And it changes nothing. But when mercy steps in, when mercy, because listen, you can't offer mercy unless you absorb some of the pain yourself. What are we talking about here? We're talking about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That though he hung there at Calvary and had the power of 12,000 legions of angels to demand and bear down the law upon humanity, he absorbs the blow and says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That is mercy. So what's the goal and the vision and the foundation for where we're heading in this series? It's very simply this. The foundation for every family is to know, to show, and to grow in the love of God found in Christ Jesus. That's it. That's the vision for every family, for grandparents, for single, for whatever, old, young, distant, crazy uncle, we're glad you're here, all of that stuff, right? To know, show, and grow in the love of God found in Christ Jesus. So as I close, I have an application for you. What I want you to do this week as a family, even if you're grandparents, empty nesters, single, whatever, I want you to write out a vision statement for your family on paper. Maybe you guys are at the kitchen table together, you got the kids and you're hanging out and Because listen, we have to know where we're going as a family. And regardless of what you think or not, you are headed in a certain direction. And a prophetic vision is vital for your family. Um, A few years back, we did this with our family. Our kids were very young. We had one less kid at the time. Um, And and as I was preparing for this, I, I got really convicted. This is what it looks like in our family. In the Jordan home, we love God with all of our heart. We love each other. We obey our parents. We say we're sorry. 
we have a good attitude and we have so much fun all because of Jesus. That just hangs on a piece of paper in our office. I got kind of convicted about that because that's a lot more rules than it is like a vision statement. And so we're going to rework that. I'm doing the same thing that you're doing. I need this just as much as you do. And so as you're writing a vision statement for your family, I have some questions that you can ask yourself. What season of life are you in? Are you empty nesters? Are you getting ready to retire? Or do you have new babies in your home? Are you single? You, you have to acknowledge where you are before you can determine where you're going. Secondly, this, what are some inconveniences that are happening within your family that just might, just might be God-sized opportunities for you? Because here's what I know, and here's where we're going in the series. God wants to go into the broken places because that's where his power is best demonstrated. Not in where we have it all together as a family unit, but in the broken places he wants to provide the healing there. And then lastly this, have you ever been a part or seen a family that just was godly and has remained godly and has made a profound impact on you in your life? Think about that. As you're writing your own vision statement, think this is something that I'm striving for and I want to be a part of. Because the foundation for every family is to know, to show, and to grow in the love of God found in Christ Jesus. So Westside, stand to your feet and let us pray how Jesus taught us to pray. Even the second word in this prayer reminds us of the direction that we're going in this series. So Westside, lift our voices and say it out loud together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you and I pray that that prayer would come true. That the kingdom of God that is reigning and ruling, Jesus, you are on the throne in heaven. And I pray that through this series that you would be on the throne of families' hearts. God, that maybe today before we come and partake in communion, there's confession that takes place. And there are men that are so bold and so brave to acknowledge I don't know where we're going because I was never shown as a man. That there would be wives so overcome with humility going, I'm like third or fourth generation divorced in my family and I feel like I'm headed that direction. I need Jesus so bad for us. God, I pray that there would be older, younger, I pray that generations would be changed through your word and through the proclamation of what your vision is for family. And God, I pray that there would be families in here that could declare with the fathers of old, we worship the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. May that legacy be true at Westside. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ.